You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 today as we transition from our study in the book of 1 Peter uh, to a new series this morning we'll introduce in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, and as you're turning there, um, I think one of the things that we must say thank you for is all the things we just sang about. There's uh, plenty to be thankful for today. Uh, are you like me? We tend to be guilty of only being thankful or feeling like I can be thankful when we have some superficial thing. And I'm not saying they're not, they don't matter. Good health or families getting along or whatever those specific horizontal things. But if we have Jesus, we have a reason to thank God, right? Everything. All the promises of God are yea and amen in this person called Jesus. So if you've got a, if you've got a crappy attitude, as my grandma would often tell me, or a sour kind of outlook. Listen, you're living looking at just what you can see. We walk by faith, not by sight. And I hope today you'll let God stir in you in that. I know we all have downer days and downer weeks, but I hope that through Jesus you can rejoice in the Lord. Just a couple of things of note before we read our text today. Uh, first of all, uh, two things. One, next Sunday, or I'm sorry, just a, a week from this coming Sunday, that weekend, we're going to be going back to Dearborn. If you remember, we went there to do some canvassing, and we had a good group of folks that came with us for that, and it was exciting to see God use His Word. Um, and so I want to invite you to go with us. We're going up for an opening uh, service. They have them uh, Tuesday after Labor Day through Friday night, and we're going up. We'll leave here about 1 o'clock in the afternoon and get back pretty late that night, but it is a Friday night. Um, and we're just going to go up and kind of just fill seats and maybe be greeters if they need us, but basically helping this young family, this new church get started just by being there. Um, and a few of us may serve as greeters or ushers or whatever they need us to do just to be hospitable uh, to folks as they come and visit the church. Uh, it's at a hotel on the north edge of Dearborn is where they're hosting those opening gatherings. So if you'd like to go with us with your family, we'll leave about one o'clock on Friday. Uh, you see the details there on the 10th. And uh, please, if you will, sign up today, if at all possible. That helps us to plan for that uh, as we're just a couple of weeks removed from that. And then the second item would be this. Our fair, uh, Wayne County Fair, is coming up in just a few days. We didn't have the fair last year. And we have had a fair booth at the Wayne County Fair booth for several years now. And uh, this year, we're really excited about our theme and emphasis. And if you'd like to know more details, you could see me or Pastor Dave uh, about this. But we're, the theme is Smile More. One of the things with all of the masking and misery and things we've had, I think we've lost the ability uh, to value just those simple things like smiling. And so if you can smile, you can help staff. That may be an if for some of you, but if you can smile, you can come help us staff our fair booth. Uh, and if you go out to the lobby in our guest service table, there are uh, four-hour blocks of time. If you're new to it, we'll make sure we pair you up with somebody who has worked or staffed it in the past. But you just greet folks. They're able to get in on a drawing that we provide uh, for those, they can win a prize, and uh, there's some interactive things as well as tracks. Uh, the gospel is given, uh, and then just getting to know people and interact with our community. Some of you are in this church because we met you at the fair, and uh, I think that's a win. We'll consider that a win. We'd like a few more of those like you, and so we'd love to see you be a part of that if you're willing to help sign up at guest services. All right, you may remain seated, but let's look, if you would, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 
We read this verse last week, and we will pick up here as we pivot now to our new series. Verse 8, Peter here says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Notice again, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we're starting a new series today. Talk, the title is Bite-Sized Spirituality. In six weeks, we're going to talk about the major components of spiritual tension. Today, we're going to talk about Satan. Next week, we're going to talk about God. Uh, then we'll talk about heaven and hell. We'll talk about angels, fallen and faithful angels. We'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, uh, all of those things. And as I tongue-in-cheek told you last week, Next week, I'm preaching on God in one sermon, and that, that was a challenge in and of itself. So you can come, and if you don't believe I can do that, we'll take a shot at it next week. But today, we're looking at Satan, our enemy, and uh, with obvious understanding, let's pray and ask God to help us. We need his help this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to not just the pleasantries of our faith, but it talks about the underbelly. It talks about the things behind the scenes, the powers that work. And Lord, we pray that you would protect now this time, as many have been praying and have expressed that to me. I'm grateful today. Uh, Lord, we need your help. Whatever distractions may come, whatever side paths we may be uh, tempted to wander into, I pray we would stay on message and mission today to boldly declare that there's a real enemy that hates you, defies you, and seeks to align us with him in defiance of your authority and your lordship and your love in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would do so with soberness and carefulness, but also with boldness in the name of Jesus, the one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave with the empty tomb, as we just sang. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to show you a picture today. Um, this is a picture of a, um, nat a uh, natural uh, formation. This is called Devil's Tower. Uh, Devil's Tower is a, it's an indigenous rock layer in the Black Hills of northern Wyoming. I don't know if you've ever gone out that way and uh, wandered around some of the parks and things out that direction, but the name of Devil's Tower, this, this unique formation, originated in 1875 during an expedition led by Colonel Richard Irving Dodge, back when they had more than three names, uh, when his interpreter reportedly misinterpreted a native name to mean bad God's tower. And uh, so because of that kind of the tongue-in-cheek label or name that was assigned to this was Devil's Tower. In fact, Devil's Tower was the first United States national monument. It was the first one designated as a national monument by our former president, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Roosevelt, in 1906. And so if you were to go out this direction, you would see this uh, formation. And I was thinking about as it relates to the devil and Satan himself that we're going to study about. I don't know how long it's been since you've been in church and heard a sermon or gone through a study on our enemy Satan, on God's enemy Satan. But I think one of the primary reasons for the lack of clarity and conviction and victory in our spiritual struggle is because we do not realize how largely looms our enemy. The shadow that he casts, the towering effect that he has, not just in uh, other people's lives and in certain parts of the world, but in your mind, in your heart, in your home, in your marriage, in our community, and the list goes on and on and on, we face a real and relevant enemy. 
And the Bible teaches that Satan is the greatest enemy of both God and man. Um, I don't know who you feel like are enemies today, but I'm telling you, they are not ultimately political enemies. They're not economic enemies. They're not different social class enemies. Our ultimate enemy are the powers and rulers of darkness in our day. And we must be willing to own that and do so with sobriety, but also courage uh, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so obviously in a battle, if you don't know who your enemy is, can you imagine playing a, a basketball game and nobody wears uniforms and you don't know who are teammates and foes? That's going to go real well for you. You don't even know if you won at the end of the game, right? We have to know there has to be a clear delineation between who is for us and who is against us. May I say also, to understand our enemy properly, we must let the Word of God be our reference point. There's a lot of teaching in our day on spiritual things, and especially dark, uh, the dark aspects of theology, and often that is not rooted and grounded in Scripture. And so today, with God's help, we're going to let God tell us about our enemy and what applications and implications he would have us to take away. So the question today is this, in a day of underestimating Satan or overlooking Satan, how do we grow in our appreciation for who he is and how our God defeats him? Let's talk about four undeniable truths. If you believe the Bible, these are things you have to accept uh, about our enemy. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the fact that Satan, number one, he is real. Satan is real. Um, I was in our classroom wing this morning. We started some small groups uh, on Sundays, and, and it was fun just to see so many turn out for that and looking forward to our time together on Sundays. But I noticed in our classroom wing that the whiteboards were wiped clean. Now, that bothered me for a reason I'm about to express to you. Okay, I'm half poking fun at you when I say this. But I heard the other day someone said, every family has secrets, secrets is the key word, until a Sunday school teacher asks a group of kids for prayer requests. And then they say, anything else you want us to pray for your family about? And I noticed today, for some reason, when us adults first moved back into the classroom wing, we haven't been in there all summer, they're wiped clean, and all that was on the board was, welcome to North Life. I'm like, yeah, right, guys. We're not swallowing that. You're hiding all these things that you all know about us that your ki our kids are telling you. And those who teach in that and right now are getting fresh material on you, uh, they could attest to that. Can I just tell you today, as it relates to the secrets, the biggest secrets that we often are not aware of, the fact that Satan is real is one of the most unrealized secrets, not just amongst the heathen, again, in the, the realm of the ignorant in our world, but we as believers often live without the practical belief that Satan is real. All right, let's talk about a few things as it relates to this reality of Satan. Number one, you have there in your notes this outline, there is a real existence to our enemy Satan. He is real. When you hear the word Satan, what do you think of? Um, if you're not careful, we tend to view it as, you know, some guy with a tail and horns and a pitchfork, or maybe in our common vernacular and experience, because this is coming in a month or so, it's the cute little kid on the front porch trick-or-treating in some devilish outfit, some ghoulish outfit. We tend to associate this term with those kind of experiences. And yet Satan is so much more than that, so much different than that, as clearly revealed in the Word of God. And can I just give you a few things in general from Scripture that would testify to the fact that Satan, no matter what you feel or think or others feel or think, does exist. Specifically, Satan's existence, you may want to jot down these couple things under this, 
Satan's existence is specifically taught in seven Old Testament books, and I list them for you quickly. Genesis, 1 Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And we'll look at a couple of those Old Testament references in just a moment, but uh, Genesis, 1 Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And I was thinking specifically the book of Psalms. We all love the book of Psalms, right? The rich truth and the comfort. Listen to me, we don't have the comforts without what it teaches on this subject. We can't pick and choose a la carte what we want from God's Word. And so the Old Testament is replete. It's full of references as to the existence of Satan. The word Satan occurs 37 times in the New Testament. So it's referenced in seven Old Testament books, very uh, in detailed manner, manner. And the word Satan occurs, if you would do a word search, 37 times in the New Testament. Now, one of the key things today is this. Almost without exception, especially in the New Testament, the word Satan is preceded by the definite article, the. So we're not talking about a devil or kind of this expression of kind of this concept of a personality type. It's saying the Satan, the devil, the Lucifer, the, the definite article, the, it's not a Satan, it is the Satan. And so there is a person that God warns us of repeatedly in his word. And then lastly and importantly, Jesus taught the existence of Satan. And a few references, Matthew 13, 39 Luke 10, 18, chapter 11 and verse 18 of Luke as well, and John 8, 44, Matthew 13, 39, Luke 10, 18, Luke 11, 18, and John 8, 44, where Jesus taught that there was a literal devil. Now, you may say, Pastor, I struggle to believe that there is a person called the devil. Can I just tell you, no offense, I'm going with what God said in his word, and especially what God the Son taught. And I think we would do well who claim to be his followers to line up with what he teaches on this subject. Um, I love people who share with me, well, you know, I've been looking online and everything others are saying doesn't seem to line up with whatever maybe the Bible teaches. And the other day someone used this analogy. They said people, and hopefully you're not offended by this, but it challenges my thinking too. People think thinking they're smart because they've searched the internet is like thinking they're good swimmers because they got caught wet walking through a rainstorm. That, that's basically how intelligent that is. And it's amazing. They're, listen, you could be right now or hopefully right now, but when we get done here and you're riding home and if someone else is driving, you could find all kinds of things to counter what I just said to you. We have to choose. Are we going to believe what God's Word has to say about spiritual things? Or are we going to accept and tolerate what others espouse. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. We're going to bounce around and just, again, not breaking down these texts, but I want you to see the, the multitude of witness of Scripture uh, in our theology, our, our belief about Satan. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28, all right? Find the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then work your way toward the end of the Old Testament to the right. Ezekiel 28, and let's look, if you will, at verse number 12. And each of these verses are going to stimulate curiosity and questions that we honestly don't have time to cover today. I hope you'll dig into a good commentary if afterwards or later this week you want some additional perspective or resources, be happy to provide that. But we're just going to let the scripture speak for itself. What about Satan is so real? First, he's real in his existence. Look now, if you will, here in Ezekiel 28 at verse number 12, son of man, Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, and notice how it's going to shift from the literal king of Tyrus to who is behind his worldly influence. 
Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold, thy, the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes. Here says, Voice was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of the fire. Thou wast perfect, notice, in thy ways, from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Number two, jot this down, real origin. So there's real existence of Satan. There also is a real origin or starting point uh, for this person called Satan. And Satan's original name was not Satan. Um, that has the idea of accusing, a slanderer. His original name was the name Lucifer. Um, and we see that being alluded to here, this Lucifer and his shortcomings. We'll talk more about that in just a moment in the book of Isaiah. But here we see him described as having a beautiful jeweled covering. I mean, look at all those things that were a part of his train. Heidi was sharing with me um, recently of an old world ruler. The wife was wearing a dress, just one gown. Um, that was worth over a million dollars. Um, and all of the jewels bejeweled with all of this finery upon here, that nothing can compare even that to what's being described here, this beautiful creature that God had created. The phrase sealeth up the sum that we just read in verse 12 indicates he probably had a position of great rulership and influence in heaven itself. And we see in verse 14, he is called a cherub. He was a part of the cherubim, the order of the cherubim. And we'll talk about that as we study on angels in just a few weeks. But Satan has a real origin. And God, listen to me, who was the only one there when he was created, says he is real. And whatever God makes, we need to be willing to accept as a reality to navigate, a reality that we must respond to in a way that pleases him. All right, then go back, if you will, toward the middle of your Bible to Isaiah chapter number 14. And there's a second Old Testament text. There are others, but we're looking at just two today that give to us a little bit more as it relates to this real being called Satan as described by the word of God. Isaiah 14, and if you would please look at verse number 12. And if you can't find the text as we're moving around, at least underline whichever ones you don't make it to or make a note. I think most of this is in your notes today. Isaiah 14, look if you will at verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which dost weaken the nations? Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, all right, God knew what was in his heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit up also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's the counterfeiting passion, heartbeat of Satan. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And so we see here, thirdly, jot this down, there was a real fall. So there's a real existence. There's a real origin to Satan. And thirdly, there is a real fall. Satan, the father of lies, his first lie was to himself. He believed, as he says over and over, I will, I will, I will, I will ultimately be like God himself. And in Revelation chapter uh, number 12 and verse number 4, and we don't have time to look at this right now, we may look at it later, the Bible says that Satan deceived or convinced one-third of all of the angels to rally with him against God. 
And they defied him and they sought to supplant him and for Satan himself to take over that throne and that position of influence. And obviously that was a losing proposition. And so Satan and this third of the host of angels, we don't know how large, we know it's a large number, but one third of them believed Satan's lie, joined in his rebellion. And the Bible says they were cast to the ground or to the earth. And so Satan now, since then, has been trying to get us to join with him. It's interesting in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9 or verse 5, it says, what did Satan say? What was the final bait? Ye shall be as what? Gods. And ever since, Satan has been trying since his existence was begun, since his origin and since his fall, he's been trying to get us to go down with him. We must see it, that there's a, a choice that must be made. We're either with God or we are with this only other option that exists. I was reading the other day, an article was talking about the Great Wall of China. Have any of you been to the Great Wall of China? Um, I'd love to go. That'd be fun to do. Maybe not right now, but someday as things, if things soften or open back up. But the Great Wall of China is a gigantic structure. And some would say you can see it from space. I've read things that maybe counter that, that, that thinking. But it is an immense structure. And when it was finished, when the Great Wall of China was finished, this massive wall, it was viewed as being impregnable. There, it, literally, you cannot scale it. You cannot get over it. It is so massive. And yet, those who built the wall eventually were defeated. And here's why. Because the enemy did not try to breach the wall. What did they do? They bribed the gatekeepers. And can I just tell you today, that's Satan's agenda. He knows he can't, listen, he knows he can't defeat the wall or the God, but he's going to try to convince you and me to let him in, to let him into your life and your marriage and your home and this community and our church. He's going to try to bribe you. And as the messenger today, I'm hopefully with God's help, not going to take the bribe. We're going to preach what the Bible says. We're going to teach what God clearly teaches in this area. And we have to be faithful. We have to rally together against this common enemy. And may I just say to you lovingly today, if you don't practically believe in the existence and the undisputed history of your enemy, you've already fallen. And where you haven't fallen yet, you will. If you don't even believe he is, let alone he's working, teenagers, adults, if you don't even believe that he exists, you're not going to see him coming. You're going to fall every time. Would you choose to change that mindset and heart position of doubt? All right, number two, if you will, let's go now to Revelation, all right, chapter 13. Revelation 13. Again, we're going to move between the old and new in just a few verses. There's a multitude more. Revelation chapter 13. In just a moment, we'll get to verse 3. All right, so Satan is real. Number two, jot this down. Satan also is powerful. We're going to talk about some of his abilities that should humble you and cause you to lean more into the power of God. Satan is a powerful creature. Um, there was an interesting story in the news a few weeks ago of two men who rode a teeter-totter. You know what I mean by teeter-totter? I always, my brothers, I have two brothers, it always ended with them jumping off or me jumping off and the other one crashing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have malicious family like we do, like I do. Um, but these two guys, for 216 hours, they broke a world record. The most time two people on a teeter-totter kept it going. And if you can logistically, first you think of like work and then he had a guy on a laptop off to the side keeping his business going. They had, you know, when the, the urge came, they had provision for that. But there was always at least one of them on the teeter-totter and they literally would sleep on it as well. 
and, and just, I mean, 216 hours. And, and their whole motivation, they said, would just give people in these crazy days something to smile about. I like people to smile, but 216 hours on a teeter tower, that's just not my idea of keeping people entertained or amused. 216 hours. Can I just say to you as it relates to that analogy, when Satan is put on one end of a teeter-totter and we're on the other, trust me, you can't hold your weight. You have to understand he possesses powers that you and I do not. And he's having a field day because we think either he doesn't exist or at least I can deal with him. I can deal with the temptations we'll talk about in just a moment. I can deal with the depression. I can deal with whatever. Satan is a, is a highly powerful being that we must deal with. Satan is not our equal on the other end of a teeter-totter. He can best us on even his worst day. All right, look here in Revelation 13 now, and if you will, verse number 3. And let's unpack a few of his powers that you and I must contend with in our sanctification. Verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death. We're now into the, the tribulation period. As it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Notice this, and all the world wondered after the beast. So this is uh, an ally, a, a, a pawn, if you will, that the Antichrist is using this beast now to deceive the world. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. I think at least a, an allusion to the dragon, Satan. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Then if you would go down to verse number 12. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. This is now the false prophet. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Again, they keep referring back to these, this miracle. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Imagine this literally happening. And deceiveth them that dwell in the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them to dwell in the earth that they should make an image to the beast which hath the wound by a sword and did live. And he has power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. All right, first of all, jot this down. Satan has the power to work miracles. And we see that being illustrated here in Revelation 13. He has the power to do and work miracles. And what often we do is we see something miraculous and right away we assume that it's from God. Don't we? Isn't that something we're prone to? Like imagine today if I had someone you knew had a legitimate illness and I called them on stage and I healed them. Your first question should be not, or your first response should not be, wow, I'm impressed. It should be, where is that power coming from? What's the agenda behind that? There is much being done today. I'm not countering the powers of evil by saying they're frauds. I'm saying they're using a fraudulent source of power. And we have to be willing not to just blindly follow, as we see here in Revelation 13, those who wield great power. I remind you of, of Moses when he stood before Pharaoh, and as he began to do some of the early miracles, especially Pharaoh's magicians it, involved in dark magic, to say the least, were able to replicate the very same miracles. And so there is power. Satan has the ability to do that which is supernatural. You're taking notes, I would jot this down. This is key. We'll unpack it again later. Not all supernatural activity equals good. Not all supernatural activity equals good. A.W. Tozer is once quoted as saying this, the devil is a better theologian than any of us and is still the devil. He knows God. He knows how to mimic God. He knows how to package things that look like God. 
He even can imitate some of his miracles. And if the only reason you're following someone is because they're doing something that's powerful and different and seems to be supernatural, that's not a good enough reason. May I caution you, brethren, with how you discern what you listen to and watch and what you are influenced by. All right, go to 2 Corinthians 4. Let's spend a moment here as well. A second power that Satan possesses that you and I must see coming and stand against in the power of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and let's look, if you will, at verse 4. What's the second power that Satan possesses in great proportion? Earlier in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about this message and this gospel that he's trying to preach. Uh, let's go back to verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Notice the colon that's found there and now this unpacking of that. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice that. Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. All right, number two, jot this down. He possesses power to blind eyes. To blind eyes. Why is it someone comes into our church, and maybe you're here today and you're in this category, and they, they know they're lost, they know they don't have relationship with God, and clearly, listen to me, yes, the judgment of God is conveyed, but it's a loving message. It's the truth, and it's with love, and people don't see it. They don't respond to it. Why does the person you witnessed to this last week, or you've been trying to make a dent in their theology with Scripture, why don't they receive it? It seems so obvious to us. Could it be there are spiritual forces at work that we must at least identify and navigate? The best analogy I've read on this would be like uh, the sun. The sun is out today, and the sun's really been out lately, hasn't it? Yesterday I was outside for a while. I think I almost got a heat stroke. I just, it was so hot. It was just unbearable almost, and many of you have had stuff going as well. Um, but there are days where we don't see the sun shine. Is the sun still shining? Yeah. But there's a cloud layer. There's something between the sun and us. And for the lost, that thing is not some cloudy, ambiguous thing. It is a person. It is uh, the devil himself. And so we must see that for what it is. When there's deception, when there's ignorance, when there's uh, inattentiveness to the message God has given us, may we at least identify the influence of the devil. What would be some clouds that the devil uses? Pride, rebellion, self-righteousness, and a million other things. Those are the clouds that he uses to, to blind eyes to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you just you can connect the dots and you're trying to help them and you can just see the glaze over? I'm not like looking down at them because outside of God's grace, we would not have any clarity. What's that glaze? What's that aloofness? What's that density toward the revelation of God? It often is the person and work of the devil. And one of the places I see Satan blinding eyes more than any other place, it's not the bars and it's not... Um, it's not other places of ill repute, repute and uh, reputation. It is religion. It's in the setting of religion that often he blinds eyes. Um, a friend of mine uh, who's now saved, he had this little dialogue before he was saved. He said, before I was a Christian, I went to study abroad with a guy who was always cheerful. So he was out of the country with this friend of his. And he said, I asked him, why are you so happy? To which my friend responded, because I'm a Christian. And I, the pastor said, I responded, I'm a Christian too. You are, he said. I said, yeah, I believe in God. To which he responded, even Satan believes in God. And this man who's now a believer said, initially, I left mad but wondered. 
am I really that different from Satan? There's a lot of belief and talk about God. There's a lot of religiosity, and that very religion is often what the devil uses to hinder and to halt the work of the gospel in hearts. All right, thirdly, go, if you will, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Go to chapter 11. Would you have that same book for a moment? And verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you would please, verse 13. There's a third power, and this is probably the most lethal and effective one that Satan possesses. Verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Who's writing this? An apostle, Paul. He says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, those who represent him, also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Notice the end of verse 14. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Lastly, jot this down under the powers of Satan. He has the power to deceive hearts and minds. Satan possesses the power not just to blind eyes, but to deceive hearts and minds. The other day I came across this. I don't know if you have issue with snakes. If you do, this will traumatize you as it does me. I'm not a huge fan of snakes. But there was an article in the news a few weeks ago of a man named Stephen Anderson who first examined a specimen of a spider-tailed viper um, in Iran. And back in the 70s, he was doing some digging and found the remains of a snake and noticed this unique formation on the tail. And just kind of, he, he didn't know what it was. Was it a cancerous growth? What's the deal? Four decades later, just a year or two ago, he had been thinking on that. He found in a new dig site, or found that a, in a new dig site in Iran, a gentleman named Hamid had found another one, just like the one that Anderson had found so many years before. The article concluded by saying this, unbeknownst to Anderson, the snake's weird accessory was a caudal lure, C-A-U-D-A-L, a caudal lure, an aggressive form of animal mimicry where a, wherefore a tail um, develops to resemble the prey of another organism. So whatever their prey likes to eat, they can actually form this. When something like, say, a frog tries to gobble this fake food, it becomes the food itself. And so this viper had developed the ability to lure through this caudal lure. Isn't that amazing that God is embedded? And I don't believe in evolution. We, we don't have time to cover that in our series. But the fact that God is embedded into the genetic code, the ability for, for animals to adapt um, in ways that, that um, allow them to feed or to survive. Does that remind you of another snake we know that's able to literally convince us something is nourishing, wholesome, life-giving, and then he pounces? He is able to deceive hearts and minds to think they're right, to feel they're right, and they are dead wrong. And each of us are susceptible to that in a, a multifaceted way. Do we see and appreciate his power to deceive hearts and minds? And one of his most dangerous powers is his subtlety. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that the, the serpent was more subtle, is the word that's used there in Genesis 3. He is, he is able to adapt, he's able to repackage himself in the way that we feel is even right. Sam Storms, in his book, Understanding Spiritual Warfare, made this statement. Listen to this and where it applies in your heart. Rarely will Satan confront you as Satan. 
He will come to you through something you hear or see, perhaps a movie, a lecture by a brilliant, articulate, but pagan professor, through a well-meaning friend, or as just the angel of light. Satan will not come at you directly. He will do it, especially those of us who know Jesus Christ. He will do so subtly in an end around that we feel we are in the right. And so this power uh, is something we cannot stand against without the Lord. Now, I just want to remind you of this to encourage you, because I will tell you, I'm a bit sober as I preach this today. Though Satan is powerful, he is not, he is not omniscient. Though he can be in a lot of places, he is not omnipresent. Only our God is that, right? Our God's powers, they, they eclipse, to say the least, the power of this being that we know is real and that possesses great power. But here's, here's the question today. We all agree with that, I trust. Would you, because of those truths we just shared, would you lean into the power of God that you listen to me, tend to view as optional that now you, or maybe you're reminded of today, I can't survive without it. The power of God is not just so we can have a good service, or I can feel an emotion. For me to stand and to finish well for the cause of Jesus Christ, I need desperately the power of God. Because there's an equal power, a greater power than me, pushing back against that. And so it ought to make us grow in our appreciation of the power of God. Satan is not a strong man. He is a worthy foe and one that we desperately need the power of God to stand against. Jude 9, and speaking of Michael, the archangel, a powerful being in heaven, says that when he was contending with the devil about the body of Moses, which is an interesting, I'd like to know more about that verse and the details, but it says he was not willing to bring a, against Satan a railing accusation, but instead says, the Lord rebuke thee. He stood in the power of the Lord. If Michael the archangel chooses to do that, may we do the same. First John 4, 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And so when we look at these powers, though they're overwhelming in one sense, in the power of God, we're just fine. All right, thirdly, let's talk for a few minutes about the adversity or the resistance. Satan is also adversarial. So he's powerful, he exists. Thirdly, he is our adversary. And so we must enter into this section of our study today with great soberness, understanding that he is our worst enemy. He is against us. Satan is not just a token antagonist just to kind of make the story of God interesting. It's not like, well, there's God and then I guess we need to work in this other character, this antagonist for the protagonist, if you know your literature at all, that if God's the good guy, then we need the bad guy just to make this interesting. He's not there just to make it interesting. He wants to destroy the story. He wants to destroy the story of God and your story and your future with God. He hates you. He does not have your best in mind. Tolkien, who is best known for his Lord of the Rings trilogy, once said this, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Like, are we going to address the fact that the dragon is near us and he's working? We, we go through life. We're planning our families. We're planning even our estate. We have everything else planned. Have we addressed the risk and threats of the dragon? that lives near all of us and is working, trying to get you discouraged and disconnected and, and out of step with the Lord? Are we going to own that? Or are we going to be willing to stand uh, against his adversarial approaches? All right, let's talk about just a couple of them. There are many, but these would be primary. Go to 1 John, would you, for a moment? Chapter number 2. 
1 John chapter 2, and let's look, if you would, at verse 16. And this would be one approach of our adversary that we need to see coming, identify, and resist, as we've already studied in 1 Peter 5. 1 John chapter 2, and if you would, please, verse 16. After saying to not love the world and to love the Father instead, verse 16, for all that is in the world, notice this list now, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that would be the same world that we just talked about in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world. These are the temptations that are being used. All right, number one, jot down adversarial temptations. He is our adversary, and the way he does manifest that resistance is by tempting us. Um, of all of Satan's characteristics, the one that is most often used besides the fact that he is a a liar is that he is a tempter. Uh, He's always trying to set us up for moral failure. He's always trying to move us away from God's will. And we see here John listing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the three primary methods of his temptation. And we see those listed there, the lust of the flesh. Why is your flesh... Why does your flesh always want the unhealthy thing? Why does your flesh always want the wrong thing? That's an ally that Satan uh, is using. Uh, Secondly, he mentions not only the lust of the flesh, but notice he says also the lust of the eyes. Again, he blinds the eyes to what God's saying and opens them wide for the the lust and the the desires of our wicked heart. He, He opens them toward those things. And then lastly, notice the pride of life. Now, if you were to go, we don't have time to look at it today, but if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, he used all three of those to tempt Eve. Did he not? Didn't he use all three? Go to Matthew chapter 4. We'll read a verse or two of that in just a moment. But what, were, what was the approach of Satan toward Jesus? It was the same exact sequence. And may I submit to you lovingly, he's playing us with the same ones. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Do you see them as being resistance against God's will for your life. The other day, someone was talking about, I don't know what food it is you love, but if you listed your number one food, which I know is dangerous as a pastor because now I'm going to lose you, but if think about your favorite food. You're, the best thing you can, this would be right there on the plate or in front of me. Um, what would it be? And then can I ask you gently a loving question? Is it healthy? I don't know about you. Mine isn't, okay? My top 10 probably aren't real healthy. In fact, probably the top 100 aren't so healthy. Maybe I throw in a little lettuce just to feel better, you know, out of guilt. But the thing I really want to eat is not so healthy. The other day, someone said this, just imagine how awesome life would be if biscuits and gravy made you skinny. Like, wouldn't that just, I mean, wouldn't life be perfect? I mean, all the other sorrows you have today, you could at least drown those in gravy, right? And still be skinnier as a result of it. Just amazing, yeah, get an amen there out of that. It's amazing how what we want is almost without exception when we just want it the opposite of what is best for us. And the devil plays us like a fiddle. He, he works us and we're convinced we're doing what's right for us and just do me, when in reality we're aligned with that which is counter uh, to our God. And so may we push back against that with the help of the Lord. Um, a number of years ago, I read of a, a man and his wife who had moved to the States. And I guess I'm thinking of this with especially those in the Middle East and what they're navigating this morning or this evening for them. And so they moved from the Middle East to the United States. After living here for just a short period of time, the wife began to say to her husband the following thing over and over again, just pleading with him. She asked him if they could move back to their their, uh, Islamic country of origin. She wanted to move back from where she had freedoms to where they had come. 
And here was her reason for that, a sobering reason. She said this to her husband, it's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here. Again, not necessarily America, but just our conveniences. And the Christians are asleep. And I feel like I'm falling asleep as well. Let's go back. Many of us are being lulled to sleep. We don't hate God with a fist to the heavens. We're just asleep as our enemy is having a heyday. He's mowing down hearts and homes and young people, and he's neutralized us, and we think we have a good reason for that. These temptations are wooing us to sleep, all to this satanic lullaby of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All right, and if you will, go to Revelation, back there, if you will, to chapter 12 and verse 10. And there's a second adverse or resisting approach that the devil uses First temptations. Number two, look here in Revelation chapter number 12. There's a little phrase here that is just kind of tucked in that is insightful as to the activity and agenda of Satan. Revelation 12, if you would please look at verse 10. And I love that last song, uh, well, the next to last song, just thinking of Satan, uh, God winning and Satan being defeated and the new Jerusalem, all that's just going to be incredible. But here we see kind of the preview of that. John says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Revelation 12, 10, now is come, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. How is that manifested most prominently? Here it is. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Think of this, which accused them before our God day and night. Number two, now as he manifests this adversity or resistance to us through temptation, number two, through accusations. Isn't it funny how the devil works? So if he can't get us to do what he wants, then he accuses us. Or if he even gets us to do what he wants, then he piles on with the follow-up, the one-two punch of not just temptation, but accusation. And here we see in Revelation 12.10 that he is described as the accuser of the brethren. He mocks everything and everyone that's striving to be holy and righteous. He ridicules us as Christians. Revelation 12.10 is in the future, so that means right now. Is this not day? And tonight it'll be night, and during this day and this night, he's accusing us. He's mocking us, and he's doing it through maybe others in your life, lips in your life, uh, trying to uh, tear us down as we seek to live for the Lord. One of the things I love about the contrast between how the devil works and God is how often they're equal but opposites. And the other day I read this, an author said this, the enemy wants to define you by your scars. So either scars from your own mistakes and sin or the sins and mistakes of others. So the enemy, capital E, wants to define you by your scars. He said this, Jesus wants to define you by his. The freedom from the accusations is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? That's where the freedom comes. And sometimes we forget the cross. We forget what God has done for us there. And the, the accusations begin to overwhelm us and to neutralize us, if not even move us in a wrong direction. He is our adversary. And he often does that through accusations. Let God free you from that through his forgiveness and grace. All right, and then lastly, jot this down. Thirdly, he manifests this adversarial profile through adversarial attacks. And we read this already in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, your adversary, the devil, he uh, attacks like a lion. An adversary, simply put, is one who takes a position against another. He is not for us. God is for us. The devil is never for us. 
Um, it's amazing to me how often he convinces us otherwise, doesn't he? Hey, if you cut this corner, if you fudge it here, if you, if you change your thinking on this, it's in your own best interest. Ask Adam and Eve about that. Ask those that in subsequent generations bought that lie. He attacks us uh, in that way. And so may we be willing to resist his approach. From the opening pages of Scripture, Satan is seen as the one who is set against everything that's right, everything that's good, everything that's holy. He is the arch enemy of God. He is the arch enemy of his children. And here's what I love. To stand with God is to stand against Satan. What I don't like is when I stand with Satan, I'm standing against God. You, you have to choose. Young people, you have to choose who you're for at some point. Because by that choice, you choose who you're against. Those of us a bit further down the path, are you for God? If you are for God, then you are not for Satan. There is a choice that must be made. Somebody used this analogy. I thought this was good as it relates to the, the lion. The author said this, the devil is always testing the fence. He's always seeking weak spots. Mark it down. If you're not guarding them, he is assuredly attacking there. He's always testing you. He's always looking for an opening. You see that attack. Do you identify it? Do you stand against it? Now, I may give you this word of encouragement as it relates to these, these resistance or these things that the devil does. One of the things I love about how God has structured things or allowed Satan, he's very predictable. I think we often add ambiguity where the devil does the same thing again and again and again. You know it. Let's be honest. You know when you back your way into sin. You first fudge here, and then you, and I do too, and then I begin to excuse, and I know that well-worn path is going to eventually lead me to failure in some area. His approaches are predictable, and we see them being identified over and over uh, in Scripture. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, it says, lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That to me, though I don't like that on one level, because then I don't have an out, it also gives me hope. I can know his approach, I can stand against it with the power of the Spirit and the, art, the, the authority of God's Word, I can be free. I want to give you a book title. This is an old book. You can, I did find it. It is on Amazon if you want to get a Kindle or a, I think you can get a physical book. But it was written by a man named Thomas Brooks. This is a great book. It is called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Um, the title again, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks. I think it was written back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. But what he does is he goes through all the approaches of the devil and then gives you scripture. And one of the things that might help you is just to read through them. It's not a lengthy read. Just highlight the ones that he regularly approaches you on. And then meditate on what's my strategy, what's my, my response to that. Precious remedies against Satan's devices by Thomas Brooks. And I trust through that that you'll be able to stand against the adversary uh, that we all face. All right, lastly, let's spend a few minutes talking about, and this is my favorite part of our study, Satan is defeated. He's defeated. Let's talk about that for a few minutes as we finish today. Uh, first of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So Satan is real. He's as real as the chair you're sitting in this morning. Number two, he is powerful. Thirdly, he is adversarial. But lastly, thankfully, he is also defeated. Matthew chapter 4. And let's look, if you will, in just a moment at verse number 10. Before we do that, there's kind of a thinking out there. Have you ever heard of, maybe you've seen a graphic comes to your mind of yin and yang, you know, where there's the circle 
Then you've got the little teardrop black with the white dot, and then the, the, the opposite of that, the white teardrop with the black dot. Um, in Chinese philosophy and even in their religion, they believe that there is one negative and dark element, which, no offense, ladies, they say also is feminine. So the dark side is feminine. That's the pronoun. No offense, okay? Take that for how it's, what it's worth. The, the male, the positive and bright, the yang, is on the other side, okay? I've lost half of you now with that. I just love that. The fact that the dark side is the, the female side, all right? My wife doesn't. But anyway, uh, can I just say to you, God is not an equal but opposite of Satan. The devil is still God's devil. He owns him. And I'm telling you, he's going to own him in ways that we can only just start getting giddy about this morning. He uh, is able to defeat this powerful real foe that's against us. Uh, and so that ought to just stir us uh, with worship this morning. All right, let's talk about a few areas that he has defeated or he will be defeated. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about being defeated in the past. Defeated in the past. Matthew 4, let's look at it. <laughs> Verse number 10. So there's this whole dialogue of temptation between the devil and Jesus before he enters his public ministry. Verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. What are ways that Satan has been defeated in the past? Number one, Christ defeated him at the temptation. Christ soundly defeated Satan with every one of his approaches, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You'll see them in there if you read it. Christ defeated him each time with Scripture. And here's what I love about this. Christ could have responded in many ways to the temptation of Jesus, but he did not win with his divine power. Instead, he submitted himself to God and resisted the devil with the same thing we have, the Word of God. Amen. That gives me hope today. Christ could have just swatted him off the mountaintop. He could have done something that you and I cannot do, but he chose to stand against the temptation with the same resources that we have more of today than he had in that moment. What a glorious uh, point of hope, a ray of hope that is for each of us. Christ defeated him at temptation. All right, John 12. Let's go there for a moment. I know our time is winding down here. John 12, look if you will, verse 31. There's a second way that Christ defeated Satan in the past. You probably already went here in your mind. John chapter 12 and verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who's that? Satan. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Those that had been blinded, those who had been at a distance with God. This said he, or he said, signifying what death he should die. Number two, Christ defeated him at the cross. Christ defeated him at the cross. A friend of mine just posted this this morning, and I just I, I got so excited just to read it, and then, man, i got to share that today in the sermon, but a pastor friend of mine posted this. Listen to these words. Satan thought he had won at Calvary, but the nail to his coffin was sealed at the empty tomb. And then this statement, listen to this, Satan is not losing, he is a loser. I, I hear in our day, Satan's winning even. Not just, well, you know, Satan's losing, and eventually this is all, no, he is a loser. And, and I say that with boldness, not because I'm greater than him, but because greater is he that is in me and you, if you know Christ, than he that is in the world. He's not just losing and someday will lose. He is a loser and all because of our powerful, glorious, tender Savior named Jesus. All right. And then lastly, number two, defeated in the future. I'll spend just a couple of minutes here as we wind down today. He is not only defeated in the past, 
but he will be in the future. His doom is sealed. And there are two phases to this. Go to Revelation 20, and let's look at just a couple of verses back in this text today that shows us the end of all things, including Satan's influence uh, in and over us. Revelation 20 and verse number 2. So there's two phases to this defeat in the future of our foe, Satan, that are yet to happen, that is yet to happen, that we know will. Verse 2, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. Number one, jot this down. Christ will defeat him at the end of the tribulation. So you have the seven years of tribulation where we see truly who Satan is. He's not our friend. He literally nukes the planet. He ruins everything. When given just a, a little opening, we see his true nature. He doesn't create a world of prosperity and peace and everybody gets everything they want. He ruins it all. He destroys it all. At the end of that seven years, Jesus shows up at the battle of Armageddon and Satan is roundly defeated and bound for a thousand years. And I don't know this for sure. There's a lot of supposition, but what does it mean to be bound in a bottomless pit? Obviously, he is a spirit in nature, but it's possible that he's just falling. For, that's why I like to visualize, falling, screaming, just devastated by where he's bound. And we see this, that this lack of his ability to influence or sway anyone against God. So during the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign, Satan is set aside. I don't know about you, that's enough for me. A, a kingdom without Satan vying for control, anything else is just a bonus. That's, that's where God's going to defeat him. All right, and then lastly, verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, so now the millennial kingdom winds to a close, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Shall go out to see the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Skip down, if you would, to verse 10. So he rallies them together against God and his people. And the devil that deceived them after they're defeated was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. <laughs> Lastly, Christ will defeat him at the end of the millennium. There's a final closure. There's a last act and Satan is defeated. You remember the promise of the serpent being crushed by the heel of man, a descendant of Eve? Someone said this, the last hiss will meet a pierced heel. It's all over. It's all over. God will defeat him soundly and forever. And it's interesting to me, I've thought about this at some length. Why, does God, why did God create Lucifer? Why did he create Satan? What was his purpose in that? Why did he give him room and leash to do what he is doing and has done? I think it's because God gets greater glory. The power, the reality, the, the deceptiveness of Satan, if God can conquer a foe like that, I mean, won't part of heaven and the worship, I mean, it's even alluded to in Revelation 12, will be our enemy is defeated. If there was no enemy, if there wasn't the kind of resistance that we face even today, God would not get the same glory and worship that we're able to offer to him. And so may we lean into, may we appreciate what God has done for us. All right, let's end today in Mark. Would you go there? I want to show you a brief video clip that will bring this to application today. But before we do that, I want to read a couple of verses to you in the Gospel of Mark. And it was interesting to me how God wove this series together with what we just finished in 1 Peter. And so I want to bring this back to Peter for a moment, bring it back to us as followers of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, look if you will, verse 31. And he, thank you for flipping and 
going through several texts, and he, Christ, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. That must have resonated with Peter, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Notice this next verse. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me. Notice the next word. Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. I'm going to show you a brief video. I think this captures, we'll leave the lights on, just want you to see this. But when you think of the word Satan, when you think of the profile of Satan, who do you think of? And here's my loving submission to you today. I don't know that God, when he thinks of Satan, he thinks of the same person that you and I do and the same profile that you and I do. You know what it felt like? Um, it felt like dad strength. You know when you were a kid and you're wrestling with your dad, you know, and he's just taking all the hits and he's toying with you, and then boom, he just takes you down? Jesus setting me straight that day. That felt a lot like that. Okay, okay, I know, I know. Hindsight is 2020, but at that time and at that moment, I just couldn't figure out what he was talking about, you know? I mean, why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die? No, 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 not on my watch. This wasn't going to happen. No, sir. It just wasn't like he was, he was thinking straight, you know? I kept thinking maybe he's dehydrated, maybe he's hungry. The man never got enough to eat, if you ask me. So I take him aside and I start laying into him. And before I could even get very far, he stops me, looks me in the eyes, because he has those eyes. And you know what he said to me? Get behind me, Satan. Dad strength. Those words, those eyes, that moment floored me. He floored me. <sighs> but I mean, seriously, get behind me, Satan. All right, I admit I have some flaws, you know, but Satan, I mean, that stung a bit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I just didn't get it. I just didn't see the whole picture, which won't be the last time that'll happen, mind you. <laughs> you see, I, I wanted him to use that, that dad strength on the world, you know? I mean, my desires, my plans. And your boy, Peter's plans, they don't always work out so good. I.e., ear slicing, etc. But he knew, he knew all along, <laughs> he would give us just enough rope for allow us to figure things out for ourselves. And then he just, he had that dad strength, you know? He'd pull us back in. Right at that moment, we needed saving from ourselves. That was his plan all along, saving us from ourselves. Saving me from myself. Interesting. When you hear Satan, who do you think of? 
May I remind you today, every time we resist the cross and cause of Jesus Christ, we ourselves are Satan. We are aligned with him. And one of the things that's glorious about God is that he helps us and reveals that and then calls us to himself, calls us back to him. At times, I'm Satan. At times, you're Satan. And yes, he will be defeated, the Satan. But are we letting his influence, are we aligned with him in ways we don't even realize today? And we'll ask God, God, break me, remake me, let me be aligned with you as we see Peter so experiencing. Here's the question and we're done. Will you choose to fully understand and live in light of Satan's reality, his power, his resistance, and thank the Lord, his defeat? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today.